right. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Faith Journeys. My name is Brad. I am your host. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring different people's journeys of faith. I believe each and every one of us is on a journey of faith, regardless of religion or creed. You know, I believe faith goes deeper than just attending a religious worship and that it guides and leads our lives to the best of times and through the worst of times. And it's my hope that through this podcast is that we can see each of us has a journey to take. And along that journey, we are never alone. Well, I'm really excited about our podcast today. It is a in a series of podcasts, uh, both on faith journeys and my other podcast, the Rise and Start podcast, uh, in regards to mental health. And uh, today we are talking to uh, a colleague of mine, but also a really good friend of mine, Chris Markert. Uh, Pastor Chris Markert is a native Histonian. He graduated from Concordia University in Austin and went to seminary in Berkeley. Uh, he was first called in Philadelphia. And in 2003, he moved to New Orleans to serve as a mission redeveloper for House of Prayer. Uh, in, uh, and it happened right uh, in Harvey, Louisiana. And then following Hurricane Katrina, Chris relocated to Houston, where he was called as mission developer and the founding pastor of Celebration in Cyprus, where he served for over seven years. He is a member of the Lu Order of Lutheran Franciscans, and he now serves as uh, assistant to the Bishop of our Synod for mission work. And on top of all that, he enjoys traveling, and I think I know where he loves traveling too, because <laughs> I think we have that one thing in common, Disney World. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I'm like, where did you get this bio from? But then I realized it's joining <laughs> friends for trivia at local venues. This actually, if you don't agree with any of this, you need to go to your Cinder website, because that is exactly where I got all this from. <laughs> I'm like, you are spot on. <laughs> good, 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 good. You know, I remember uh, when you uh, when you first got to Houston after after Katrina, you came to Covenant where I was serving. Uh, and I believe Joyce is the one who brought you to worship that day. Joyce Widener, who worked in the Senate office at the time. Um, yeah. She and, kind of invited me. And that was just within the first few weeks after. Right, right. Right. And that was the first time we met. Wow. Well, Chris, welcome to Faith Journeys. Thank you. Good to awesome. Well, so the reason I wanted to talk to you, uh, and especially concerning this topic is, is that, you know, uh, you and I had a lunch conversation one day um, where both you and I were kind of <laughs> comparing our notes when it came to uh, our anti-anxiety meds that we were both <laughs> uh, taking. And that conversation led to an even deeper conversation about mental health and the church. And so um, I wanted to talk to you more about that and open our listeners um, ears up a little bit about why mental health matters um, in when it comes to the church. Um, and you actually, um, because of that conversation, you actually wrote um, an article for our Senate. And I'm just going to pull a quote here uh, that leads me into my first question. Um, you said, historically, society has not done well in speaking about mental illness or those who suffered from it. And the church 
often fared no better. People were led to believe they needed to hide their mental illness because somehow it made them broken, different, or sinful. I really love that word. A person with a known mental illness has often been isolated and alienated. And I grew up in a family that spoke in hushed tones with an extended family member was going to a therapist. And one a couple of things stuck out at me in that paragraph. The church often fared no better. Why, why, is, why do you believe mental health is a matter of faith? Uh, well, because I believe that we as Christians uh, hold to the understanding that God uh, enfleshed God's self in Jesus Christ, which means God is uh, fully invested in our fullness as humans, which includes our bodies, our souls, and our minds. Yeah. And I think um, <clears throat> that our mental health is directly related to our physical health and our spiritual health. So if our spiritual health is off, it's going to affect our mental health and our physical health. If our physical health is off, I mean, they're all interconnected. Interconnected, so, right. Yeah. So it's important to care for and see all of them as sort of an integrated one um, as a human being. I absolutely agree. Yeah. You know, um, we, we talk really great when it comes to the matters of theology and, and um, I, I, I often say this too, we, we, um, we like to talk about the fluffy grace. Um, we like to talk about the pie in the sky by and by, but when it comes down to matters that are difficult, right? When we really get down into the valley, um, we struggle as a church, don't we? Um, we, 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 we don't seem to want to go there. Yeah. I think um, one of the gifts of our theology is the distinction between the theology of glory and the theology of the cross. Mm -hmm. And yet we still get caught up in the theology of glory that if I'm, if I'm happy, if I have a good job, if I have good insurance, if my kids are well-behaved, if my spouse is faithful, if I have a, a, a nice house uh, with 2.4 children and a, and a dog, then everything must be going well. And God must be blessing me because I'm doing everything right. Mm -hmm. And of course, the flip side of that would be if I find out I have cancer, if I struggle in a relationship with my spouse, if my child ends up in jail, if uh, I lose my job, then I must have done something to hack God off. And so therefore God is punishing me. Mm -hmm. And I know that uh, there are some strains of that in other theological traditions, including in Christianity, but that is not one that we are supposed to adhere to, that we are supposed to be able to see and find and experience God, even and sometimes more profoundly in those shadowy places and those valleys. And, um, and it just makes it more uh, of a challenge for us when we fall into those other theological traps. Right, right. <laughs> Chris's cat has decided to join the podcast today. That's why we're kind of chuckling. He's trying to make this great point and the cat <laughs> just kind of comes by up there. Um, exactly. Um, yeah. There has been such a stigma around uh, mental health. You're absolutely right. Um, your line about, um, I grew up in a family that spoke in hushed tones when an extended family member was going to a therapist. So I remember um, it was right before 
um, I was about to have to go to a mental hospital um, for my anxiety um, because I was just having a, a huge breakdown. And um, my mom puts her hand on me and she says, um, go and get help because you're, it happened to your grandfather and he went and got help and he was a better man for it. And my eyes just kind of went and I, I, I was like, that was the first time I had ever heard it. In 43 years, I had never heard that, you know, my mom's dad, my grandfather had the same thing happen to him at almost the exact same age. Um, that's just something that didn't come up. Mm-hmm. In all 43, I was like, mom, really? What? Wait, what? And, you know, it wasn't until after, you know, a couple months passed and, you know, and I'm back, you know, healthy and feeling myself again now that I actually called her and said, okay, I need you to tell me about this, <laughs> right? Like, like what happened? Um, but it's the same way in the church. I mean, these are issues that we don't talk about, but we should be talking about them. Right. There's some sort of, I, and I don't know if it's been the, um, if society, um, like the church reflects what the, the societies sort of hide the things that don't make you look strong, especially in our culture. Um, if that sort of pours into our culture as, as the church, I, uh, I think it comes with a sense of shame or a sense of uh, somehow being um, not fully in the image of God. And so again, I must be broken. I must not, I, I must be imperfect. Well, guess that we all are. We're all broken. We're all imperfect. Exactly. Um, that's not the, the point. Um, the point is that God pulls us, uh, woos us towards wholeness. And, um, and so I, I wish the church would figure out how to create a, a place of welcome for people who are struggling, not just with mental uh, health issues, but uh, even with just doubts of faith or uh, other questions about life or, or self-worth and not have to feel like they have to put a mask on uh, and, and pretend like everything's all together uh, when they come to church. Um, mm-hmm. Because life is messy. Faith is messy. Exactly. 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 Um, what can the church do um, outside of that? What, what, what are some ways that you think that the church can step in and fill this void and fill this gap? Well, I think there's, there's two things I think about. One is that just the average lay person in the pew, the, the, the regular churchgoer, uh, we're talking about like one in five Americans uh, experiencing some sort of mental health illness um, that, uh, especially after uh, the pandemic, that number is probably higher, mm-hmm. um, that that we have youth, one in six youth between six and 17 experience a m- mental health disorder, uh, that uh, the number of, that from LifeWay research, I was just uh, doing a little research before the podcast, that the number of pastors diagnosed with clinical depression was double the national average. Um, that uh, 40% of clergy say they'd never take uh, more than three days off per month. I mean, so we have to, first of all, acknowledge the fact that there are people in our pews who need the love and care and compassion of the church. Um, but we also need resources for our pastors and deacons who are also part of that crew who have struggles sometimes with mental health uh, 
uh, illness or, or issues. Um, you know, some mental health concerns are long-term and require kind of long-term care. Those of us who have right. neural anxiety disorder or uh, depression or, um, and then uh, others are just seasonal things that, um, that could be uh, tended to in a variety of ways. I think one, um, it would be great if more churches thought about uh, how they might be able to provide uh, counseling services. Uh, some have like parish nurses, some can bring on a counselor on staff. Um, you could uh, have support groups for people, especially people after a death of a loved one, those who are uh, dealing with addictions, um, those who are dealing with becoming new parents, because sometimes that comes with its own uh, mental health ch uh, challenges, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, uh, as you mm -hmm. try to figure out how to love these new people in your life, but you weren't necessarily prepared. So how are we providing those kinds of resources of, of encouragement and support? Um, I think even in our welcomes on Sunday morning in worship to all who are there, including those who may be struggling with addiction or with mental health issues or with anxiety, that this is a safe place for you to come and hear good news. I think some churches don't even express that in a, in a verbal way right? for people. Yeah, it's just a general blanket, all are welcome statement. And <clears throat> you know, as well as I do, you know, I just came off a sabbatical and I went to a couple of churches where all, all are welcome. And I walk in and the things that I hear from the front of the, the church that's are that's all, very welcoming. all welcoming <laughs> to, to everybody, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I just think uh, when my parents got divorced, I was in seventh, eighth grade um, and how uh, we were very active in our church and we would go to uh, Sunday school and then second worship. And after uh, about a month after my parents got divorced, my mom would just drop my sister and I off. And then she'd go to the Burger King right next to the church and have coffee and read the paper. And I finally just said, mom, you used to be so active in, in Sunday school and the Bible, the adult Bible study. And, but you don't go anymore. And she said, well, because everyone in that group is married or they're a widow but they're not someone who was divorced. And I feel like an outsider. I don't feel welcome. Yeah. I don't feel like um, they just sort of look at me like I'm a pariah and it doesn't make me feel um, included. Mm -hmm. So even in that, that's not so much a mental health issue, but a, a sense of how do we say we welcome people and how we talk about families. Um, you know, when we're always like, hey, all the families, and then you've got young adults who are single, you've got widows, you've got like, so how do you make sure that you expand your sense of welcome for people who often don't feel welcome? And of course, being divorced, and this was a Missouri Synod Lutheran Church, mm -hmm. there was that little bit of a hint of shame for not having been able to stay married uh, in the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, like you said, you know, I think um, the stig to end the stigmatization of mental health. Um, look, we have the vocabulary. We, we know how to talk about this. You know, um, it's just talking about it, right? Um, we pick our moments and then it kind of fades away. I, I, I've, I've said before, you know, whenever gun violence happens in the United States, um, we immediately talk about, oh, mental health, mental health, mental health, mental health, but then nothing ever happens. I have yet to see anything passed anywhere in regards to mental health concerns, but yet that, you know, fine, draw, draw the attention away from the guns, whatever, however you take your stance on that. But, you know, we do tout mental health during those times, and yet, and yet, 
we don't do anything about it following it it's like and then i think we've got we've gotten over the stigmatization but now we get to get to get over the stigmatization of how to actually help people who are in those positions right who are in those situations who who do struggle and and i we fall flat well and even like that you're right like uh, some gun violence happens we quickly respond and then mental health comes up that again adds stigmatization to mental health people because right. oh they must have been mental unstable so anyone who's mentally ill might take a gun and go and do things yeah absolutely right. untrue and then it stigmatizes the, the, the whole thing all over again yeah so it continues to perpetuate that that sort of shame uh, stigma cycle I think that one thing that the church really is good at, or should be good at, I should say, is <laughs> spiritual care, mm-hmm. right? Spiritual right. care. And there are things we already know what to do. We have a biblical witness. Um, you know, I love that story about, like, uh, it's the meme about, you know, even Elijah, God told Elijah to eat something and lay down and take a nap. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, Jesus went off and rested and prayed. Uh, we need to be practicing um, but as clergy in the church, practicing what we preach, which is you have to take Sabbath rest for yourself. You have to care for yourself. Uh, this is how you do that. You you have respite time. You have time for centering yourself. You have um, uh, spiritual practices that, that kind of ground you, that you uh, have a spiritual director or a spiritual coach, that you go to a counselor or a therapist, that you go to the gym, that you take care of your body. Because as we said earlier, all of those things connect to each other and they're Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I recently read a, um, a statistic. Um, I think it was by uh, the Barna group too. Um, just in our own denomination, the ELCA, um, 16% of the clergy retreated from mental health disorders for the first half of 2020. That's pandemic numbers right there. That was up 6.1% from the previous year. And we don't have the numbers in yet for 2021. And then they also published um, an article in August of 2020 that's a 20% of clergy rate their mental and emotional well-being as below average or poor. Hmm. Uh, we can't take care of other people unless we don't take care of ourselves. <laughs> That's the number one rule of caregivers. <clears throat> right. Caregivers have to care for themselves in order to be the best caregivers they are. So my question becomes, how are bishops, pastors, and, and we're also broken human beings, so we're mm-hmm. never going to get it right, right or perfect, right, right. but how are bishops, pastors, and deacons um, uh, em- emulating what we want our folks in the pews to be doing? Mm-hmm. We can't ask them to do something we're not doing. So how are we taking our Sabbath rest and our vacation? How are we renewing our minds through continuing it? How are we uh, engaging in counseling and spiritual direction and spiritual practices that, that strengthen our faith and our relationships with others? Like those are uh, things that I often see among uh, my colleagues that are missing because they're working so hard. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, they're working 60, 70, 80 hours and they're giving everything up um, to a point where it, they're burning out and it's killing, it's literally killing them. And why don't we? Uh, what do you, I know my answer to this, but I want to hear your answer to this. Uh, what stops pastors from 
taking care of themselves? I think there's a couple of things. I think one is the, I mean, I hate to say it, but there can be a sense of competition among colleagues. So like kind of- <laughs> No, what? The <laughs> Joneses. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, the, there's some undue expectations of our lay people for what to expect from their pastors. Um, I think uh, there's also this sort of culture of um, success from a sense of American understanding of success, bigger and better and mm -hmm. more money and more butts in the pews, uh, rather than focusing on life change through the gospel and relationships that are strengthened and, and made healthy, which is also uh, kind of a, a metric of uh, spiritual success. So I think some of those things just put added pressure on pastors that make them feel like they have to do more I'm interested to hear what you have to say. Well, I, I, I think you're right uh, because, and I think the, the root of we have to do more lies in, um, tell me if you've heard this before. I don't, you might not have, um, well, you only work one day a week, so it can't be that bad. <laughs> and then I would always say, no, that's only a one hour one day. <laughs> two hours one day. It's like, if I had a quarter for every time I heard that, my pension account would be in a whole lot better shape <laughs> than, than, than it currently is. It's like, and, and, he, and you know, here's the thing. A lot of times they're meant as a joke, but deep down, we as clergy know that there's probably some sort of truth deep down in those words that the people believe and that we have to try and prove them wrong because of that, because people only do see us on Sundays. Right. They don't see the behind the scenes work that we're constantly doing during the week um, that, that, that we have to do. The calls that come out of nowhere of, I'm in the hospital and we drop everything and go, right? Um, they don't see any of that. Um, right. I, or, and that, I agree absolutely with that. Or even if we know they're joking, it still hits that little shame button in us. It does. It does. It, you know, we say we laugh it off and, you know, here we are, us two are joking. But, you know, I've known sometimes where I've, you know, I'm like, why am I stewing on this? 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 Right. And, um, and you're right. It's then all of a sudden it just kind of kicks in that drive of, I got to prove myself. 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 And, um, next thing, you know, you've got job stress, right. Um, and, you know, in that, in the study that I was mentioning about, uh, the Barna group, um, uh, you know, they, they really have a sense for, for what's happening in the church. So I go to them a lot. Um, they say that pastor's sense of guilt about not doing enough at work was a top predictor of depression. Um, and that then led to doubting their call to ministry, which then was a top predictor of anxiety it was a snowball effect. <laughs> and, and, uh, I had never thought about it that way. And, um, you know, and yeah, we engage in a whole lot of stressful activities. We grief count counseling, if you can call it that, but we're with people who are grieving the loss of a loved one. We're navigating the competing demands of our, all of our congregants, uh, to try to deliver an on-point message each and every week. But when we do that, 
we open ourselves up to criticism regardless of that. Um, all of these, when you start to amplify them, create this huge bubble. And like you said, maybe unrealistic expectations um, that are placed on, on clergy that so ultimately end even up- Even during the pandemic, out. one of the things we saw from the Senate office was um, pastors who were dealing with half their congregation saying, if you force us to wear masks, we, we're out. And others who are saying, if you don't require us to wear masks, we're out. And so how are you supposed to be a shepherd to this community who are already like poised to say, uh, if you make us do this, or if you don't make us do this, we're going to leave. I yeah, mean, the battle lines were drawn. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Knowing that whatever decision you're going to make, you're going to lose half of your people. Exactly. Yeah. And we are the ones that carry that burden. And we're also often the ones that carry the burden of if there's a downturn in finances, if there's a shift demographically that affects your congregation, that that you are the one holding that that sort of burden for the congregation because you're the pastor. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love that you put in your article that during the installation of liturgies for Bishop, pastor, deacon, the assembly speaking on behalf of the whole church is asked, will you pray for her or him or them help and honor this person for their work's sake and in all things strive to live together in the peace and unity of christ and then you say in the typical letter of call for called ministers it says with this call we pledge our prayers love esteem and personal support for the sake of the ministry entrusted to you by god and for the ministry together in christ's name i read that and i went dang shouldn't that be shouldn't that be the 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 covenant for all the people in the church that were going to do this for all of us together in this, <laughs> because yes. I think that gets what you're do, what you're getting at is that trying to make a place where we can talk about these things, where we can say, yeah, I have issues when it comes to mental health issues, um, where people are there to pray and to honor them and to know that and to work together to 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 be there for one another. You know that shouldn't just be a promise to. The pastor that should be a promise to each and every one Correct. of the people and, who are sitting in the pews with them right um and that article was really kind of written specifically about how we care for our rostered ministers and so that's why i, I brought that particular thing up but i do want to say i have seen some congregations who have been there to support their rostered ministers when they've gone through uh, times of mental health crisis or uh, or mental health illness. And so this isn't just like across the board, all congregations aren't right. doing it. There right. are some right. who are doing yeah. really good and who have found ways to support and care and love for their for their pastors and deacons Absolutely. Uh, in times of, of, of crisis. And so I just uh, lift those up as well. Amen. Amen. Yeah. My congregation being one of them. Um, you know, I really don't know how many people actually in the congregation realized what I was going through, but the staff and the lay leadership that was in place during that time really did step in for me and really did say, you get better. You get the help that you need. We've got this right. And, um, it was just comforting to know that, um, I didn't have to worry about that part that I needed to just focus on myself because 
when you're going through it, that's all that you can think about is trying to get yourself through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> be very, um, it can make you feel very alone. It can, it really can. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but you are not, <laughs> you are not. I mean, that is the promise of Christ uh, is that we are not, and it is the promise of the church to be with those uh, uh, as they, I mean, that comes out of the baptismal covenant that the church will surround and walk with and, and, and accompany uh, those who are being baptized in their life, no matter if it's good times or the bad times. Absolutely. 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 Let's talk a little bit about um, the ELCA's social message on mental illness. First of all, thank you for including that. I didn't even know we had that. Um, a lot of these social messages and social statements kind of get lost in the shuffle, don't they? Um, in, in in our church, and I'm sitting there, and I, I was reading it, and I said, "Holy cow, that's been there since 2012." <laughs> I didn't even realize that it is like my goodness. Um, but part of it says. This healing at its heart is about a restoration of relationships and the promise of the gospel of Jesus Christ is a promise of restoration to God. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What do you hear when you hear that? And when you read that, when it comes to dealing with mental illness or someone who is dealing with mental illness as, as, as a friend or as a colleague. So two things that come to mind. First is uh, something that a professor in seminary used to say all the time that mission, church, God, it's all about relationship, 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 the relationship God chooses to have with us that changes us, the relationship we get to have with God and with the world around us. And so uh, everything is about relationship when it comes to, um, to, theology and to being a person of faith. Uh, so that's the first thing that comes to mind when I hear that, that quote. And then the second thing is something I learned in pastoral care and counseling, that there's a difference between being cured and being healed. Mm. You know, we go into uh, a hospital and someone is dying of a disease. Um, they may not be cured of the disease, but healing can happen. And that healing is that restoration uh, with God, with uh, themselves, with, um, with their family. With So healing is more than being cured is part of healing, but healing is more than being cured. So some folks will have a long-term mental illness, um, but they are being healed in that, or they can be healed in that, even if they're never cured of it. I love that. Yeah. Cause you're right. You know, um, I'm still healing. Um, I'm not cured of it. I probably never will be cured of it. Um, but I'm always going to be in a constant state of being healed, um, uh, with it. And, um, you know, it's, it's, um, it takes a little bit of a humility to realize that is what I've was what I found out. Um, because, I wanted it to be gone and it's never going to be gone. It's always going to be there. Um, and so I had to switch my focus from, yeah, this is something I'm, this is a part of me. This is a part of who I am. And, and here, and here's the thing, you know, going back to something we talked about previously, 
society has told me that if this happened to me, I was broken, that I failed as a father, that I failed as a pastor, um, that it couldn't happen to me. Those are things that society put in my mind without me ever knowing it until I started struggling with it. And uh, it took some humility for me to say, I'm not broken in that, in that way. This is not something that is caused by something that I did or a vengeful God or anything like that. Cause yeah, when I was going through, it was like, come on, God, you know, I'm sitting here, I'm trying to build your kingdom. I'm trying to build your church for crying out loud. I'm putting 60 hours a weekend. Why is this happening to me? Why are you doing this to me? You know? And to realize that that even Jesus says in scriptures, that's not the way God works. Right. And his disciples, Hey, Rabbi, what caused this man's sin uh, to have him be born blind? And Jesus kind of looks at him and goes, you know, that's not the way it works, right? <laughs> By the way, the literal translation of, of that text, literal translation of that, you know, that's not the way it works, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and they're like, really? You know, and, and yeah. So, you know, to, for me to get to the realization that this isn't something that it's going to be cured. But you know what? Rest in the fact that you're in a constant state of being healed. Um, that can be very powerful. You, uh, you make me think of uh, post-resurrection. Uh, Jesus appears to the disciples. He still has holes in his body. Yes. <laughs> in his resurrected form. He is yes. fully now uh, the resurrected Christ. And yet he still has the scars from uh, they will always be with them. Um, and uh, that's part of who he, he is as Christ. So, yeah, absolutely. Well, this has been great. Thank you uh, for talking um, uh, with us about this. Um, uh, you don't know that. I, I don't know if you've ever listened to a Faith Journeys podcast, but um, all my guests get a what I call a final four. Um, and it is four random questions. Okay. Um, and you have to give a one word or one sentence answer <laughs> off of the top of your head. All right. So are you up for it? I'm ready. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here's your final four. Pastor Chris Markert, when do you feel most at peace? Mm-hmm. One word answers? Or one sentence. Oh, uh, near big bodies of water, like the ocean, a big lake, near water. Awesome. Let's make sure they're not Pauline sentences, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Paul had a way to just take a sentence. <laughs> Next thing you know, it's a whole chapter in scripture, right? Uh, uh, what has been your greatest adventure so far? Starting the Order of Lutheran, found, uh, Lutheran Franciscans. Awesome. If you could only keep one page from the Bible, what page would you keep? one page from the bible so so complete the sentence if i could only keep one page from the bible i would keep the page that talks about blank that's a good one that i came to give life and life abundant cool wow that's a good one 
what makes a conversation great? Dynamic interchange. Very cool. You made it. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> you made it the final four. Uh, awesome. I want to say I'm also at Peace usually at Disney World. Just I, I was going to say that Disney World is a place Epcot, yeah. in that. It's got around to. the world. Yes. Yeah, but. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you again, Chris, for uh, being with us. Oh, it's my um, pleasure. We have been talking about mental health today, my friends. Um, look, if you're struggling, know that you're not alone. Uh, please, please don't keep it to yourself. Reach out. There are people out there that can help. Um, you do not have to do this journey alone. Um, you can certainly reach out to me. Um, you can head over to my website, um, riseandstart.life. Um, and to contact me, you can reach me at um, my email address, bradauto12 at gmail.com. Um, reach out to somebody. Um, don't do this by yourself and know that you're not alone in it. There is help. There is hope. And as we have talked about in this podcast, there is healing as well. And so uh, if you are struggling uh, with that, just know that I am here to help in any way that I can. And there are other people out there who are willing to help as well. All right. Well, take care, everyone. We'll see you on the next episode. Until then, here's to as I can't remember the character who said this, but uh, here's to good mental health. Maybe it was Kelsey Grammer and Frazier. Maybe that was it. Here's to good mental health for you all. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.